Today marks the third in our Lenten sermon series, Who is Jesus Really? As we move through this season toward Holy Week and Easter, we are trying to figure out more fully who Jesus was and is with his many and varied roles. Today's identity focus would be just as easy not to take all that seriously. I mean, Jesus as prophet is an interesting idea as long as we think about it 2,000 years ago. But to consider it for our times could be very demanding. That's why it's easier to become numb to so many of the ills and problems around us. When I concentrate on my own little world, and forget about everything else, I know I will not overly tax my energy and my caring. During these days of ours, people go hungry and homeless in almost every city of the world, certainly right here in the greater Los Angeles area. And statistics on such problems generally go in one ear and out the other. Children die from abuse and neglect, youth from drug overdose, drunk driving and suicide, and unless it touches us personally, it might get a too-bad-so-sad response. And otherwise, we often hardly bat an eye. In short, we are losing our sense of right and wrong, or at least are not being outraged by the wrong and inhumanities around us. And when that happens, losing a true sense of justice is not far behind. There is a significant portion of our society that has little sense of right and wrong because they are anesthetized and numb, and friends, that condition is contagious. A very famous attorney was on his way to the courthouse when a friend saw him and said, Fiat justitia ruat kailum. Let justice be done, though the heavens fall. Did I get that right, Michael? Let justice be done, though the heavens fall. And the attorney said, that could ruin my case. Isn't it amazing that seeing that justice is served has become secondary to serving one's own interests? Could it be that while it is always more comfortable to take the easy way out, we need to reclaim the identity of Jesus as prophet today as much as ever before? Now, before we turn specifically to Jesus, let's look at the tradition of our older text as we look at the passage that B read for us from Amos chapter 5. Seek good and not evil, that you may live, and so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you. That's pretty straightforward. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the good in the in the gate. It may be that the Lord of The Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Again, it's pretty straightforward. 
I hate and despise your festivals, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them, and the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. But let justice roll down like mighty waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Righteousness. For those of you who think of that as a kind of an overwhelmingly theologically laden word, righteousness means just getting relationships right. Right relationships. Let justice roll down like mighty waters and righteousness, right relationships like an ever-flowing stream. In other words, celebrations and offerings to God are meaningless unless our lives are connected to doing justice and righteousness. In Palestine, the ordinary brook is a raging torrent in the, rais- in the rainy season, and in the summer heat it dwindles to a trickle or becomes totally dry. On the other hand, a brook fed by a spring is perennial or ever-flowing, ever-flowing. God requires that justice flows like a swollen torrent and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. The dealings of people with one another with one another in every sphere of life, personal, economic, social, political, must be just and right. Why? Because the God of Israel made known in righteous acts and saving deeds is what requires it. In the exodus from Egypt, God delivered the people from slavery, and at Sinai established a covenant with them. And this, be, this covenant between Israel and God was the basis of Israel's existence as a people. It had ethical and moral conditions, which Israel was under obligation to fulfill. And so Amos, by demanding justice and righteousness, was not doing something new. He was dealing specifically with his time and his place. He was red flagging bad business practices where false measures and weights were being used to charge inflated prices. Gosh, that has a familiar sound. Greedy and ruthless people were taking advantage of others, and rather than bury his head in the sand, Amos spoke up and out. He spoke out against the idle rich and unjust judges. Amos rejected corrupt religion and the false security that went with it. And the more I think of it, Amos was not ancient at all. He sounds pretty darn contemporary. Let me try to paraphrase Amos for us today. When your values and lifestyle interfere with or ignore basic human compassion, you've got the wrong religion. We are to create justice. And here's how Jesus put it. If you do not love the neighbor whom you can see, you can't love God whom you don't see. Now, Jesus was a prophet. But that wasn't totally new. 
He simply was fulfilling and reminding people of what God wanted of them. Rabbi Abraham Heschel, in his book, The Prophets, shares this insight. The prophet's ear perceives the silent sigh. Above all the prophets, they remind us of the moral state of people. Some are guilty, but all are responsible. All of us are responsible. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me, right? That's a tough guy's response to a bully. Personally, ever since I became an adult, I haven't really cared much for that saying. Fact is, sticks and stones can break bones, and in time, those bones heal. But words, words can stick. They can hurt. They can abuse and cut to the quick. Sticks and stones, they break my bones, but words, words can kill. Words can kill. They can kill relationships. They can kill any sense of hope, of any sense of meaning, of any opportunity for justice. Now, when I was a kid, I took some knocks from the neighborhood bullies. But I want to tell you, kids can be a lot more cruel to one another by what they say. And so can adults. So can adults. Words can be incredibly powerful, though sometimes these days they seem so darn cheap. The word of the prophet can cut to the quick, and at first it may hurt, but it is spoken out of a deep sense of caring. The only reason Jesus said some of the hard things he said was because he cared. If he hadn't cared, he would have buried his head in the sand. So let's hear a portion of the passage from Matthew that that Eleanor read. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. That's a hard saying. And I don't know about you, but I kind of wish Jesus hadn't said it. But he did. And unless we want to bury our heads in the sand, we need to deal with it. First, he said he brought a sword. Now, I don't think he meant that physically. Not a physical weapon. Listen to the writer of Hebrews 4. 12. Indeed, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions 
of the heart. Might that be the kind of sword that Jesus was talking about? And that individuals within families will be set against each other because some will only travel the path of complacency and comfort and others will hear the prophet's word that afflicts the comfortable and comforts the afflicted and thus get off their duffs and live a life of concern and true compassion. And let me tell you, those who are self-serving and seek total comfort and privilege are threatened by and in conflict with those whose lives are shared deeply in compassion. Those who seek their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. The beauty of Jesus is that he lived what he spoke. He showed a decisive solidarity with marginalized people. He ate with sinners and talked and walked with outcasts. He forgave sins instead of holding grudges. Those who were numb to injustices in their society were shaken by his words. As you have done it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you've done it to me. If someone has need for a coat and you have two or three or four, give one to them. Jesus drove out the money changers from the temple. You see, justice is love working out its problems. Love is justice and justice is love. Love makes justice just. Speaking out of a life of service and justice-seeking in Brazil, Archbishop Dom Helder Camera once told a group in Los Angeles when he was here speaking, a person can give aid to, the, to an individual, and they'll be called a saint. But let that one appeal for justice, and he may be called subversive. The greatest charity of our time is to help create justice. And that's the reason prophets never fare well. They call for justice. And the arrangement of things is not set up to help everyone. The prophet gives pain and oppression a voice. And those who have made it are bothered by the needs of others. Look what happened to Jesus. I have to tell this story of a guest minister who was visiting a church. And uh, the host minister said, you know, our congregation has become very complacent. If you could just give a sort of a prophetic sermon that might shake us up a bit, that, that could be good for us. This is a true story. The minister got up. He said, I have three points this morning. The first point is during the first 30 seconds of this sermon, some 15 people in the world will die from hunger. That was his first point. The congregation was really pleased. That was a short first point to the sermon. The second point, he said, is, and you don't even give a damn. The third point, he said, is, you're more upset and concerned that I said the word damn than you are about the first point. 30 seconds were up. 
and he sat down. Wow. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. One more story. I love this story. Uh, William Sloan Coffin was one of my uh, motivating people when I started in ministry. He was already well along in his career, but I remember uh, in reading his biography this great story where he was in a panel discussion with Henry Kissinger when he was chaplain at, at Yale Divinity School. And they were discussing the Vietnam War, which was, of course, very contentious. And, of course, there were those saying, we've got to get out of Vietnam, and Kissinger was there kind of maintaining the status quo. And, and Kissinger said, he looked over at Coffin, and he said, well, how would, you, how would you get the boys out of Vietnam? And here's what, here's what Coffin said. Mr. Kissinger, our job is to proclaim that justice must roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Your job, Mr. Kissinger, is to work out the details of the irrigation system. <laughs> Jesus as prophet, mighty in word and deed, shows us that the will of God, whether we like it or not, is discovered in the territory of justice and love. Beware, then, of any religious direction which leads you down a road of no compassion or down a road of great prosperity. So who is Jesus really? If Jesus says something that challenges, confronts, or even hurts, that's okay. He doesn't do it because he doesn't care. He does it because he does care. It's tough love. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words, oh, oh, the words of Jesus are terribly important. Amen.